I have never been in this place, but I presume it was once a religious place. And the person who constructed it must be puzzled, why is this place full of heretics? <laughs> How many of you would consider yourselves to be heretics? <laughs> well, I think some of you are mistaken about yourselves. <laughs> because heretic, to be a heretic, originally meant simply to have an opinion. And then the uh, officials of the church decided it was bad to have an opinion. You've got to believe what you were told. And now I think what is unique about our world is that it is considered desirable that each one should have an opinion. And this is a result which has come unexpectedly. Because when you start educating people, you make them critical and you make them imaginative in, in theory and you make them um, think a little bit for themselves. And the result is that nobody thinks exactly the same thing. And the dream of consensus has therefore disappeared. And uh, that means that our institutions can no longer work properly because um, we are supposed to agree that the law is not an ass, but the law is a very sensible thing which you all have to follow, and we have to um, uh, pay at least lip service to those who govern us. And uh, uh, so I want to suggest to you that we have come to a, a time in the development of um, what we call our civilization when we've got to invent a new one. And we have, and I will give you some reasons why I think um, it is not impossible to do so. Um, of course, we have to look at the past in a new way. And I believe that the only way that we can think about the future and have a new vision of the future is to have a new vision of the past. At the moment, we have a vision of the past which said things are getting better and uh, we are getting richer, and we now have central heating, which the Romans had, and uh, that, uh, you know, uh, though people may have a larger income, they also have larger expenditure. And it is extremely, as you all know, extremely difficult to live in this city, much more difficult than in the past. What it means that there is no consensus is that we are increasingly isolated um, first of all, that we don't know our neighbors. Secondly, by our profession, that uh, we are becoming, we're becoming more and more experts in a particular field so that we cannot understand somebody in a different field and we have to ask someone else. And therefore, our minds have become more narrow. And on the other hand, um, by being educated, we have more expectations. We'd like to see the world, we'd like to uh, um, know more things, but we are faced by the problem that there is so much to know that we cannot know it. So what are we going to do with all this knowledge which we are fabricating, all this data that these wonderful experts in big data are collecting for us, um, trying to work out from it how you belong to a certain category? of and how if you buy 
a certain object from Amazon, they will immediately tell you that you really want to buy another object very similar to it. And so they know what you think, but you don't think like that. And um, so I um, believe that we have to move beyond the reliance which we have, say, originally we thought we would escape from our problems by becoming Renaissance men or women. And that is impossible now with the vast amount of knowledge. Then we thought we might be follow the, um, the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment uh, said, if you use your reason, you will get rid of your superstitions and all will be well and you'll establish good societies. And we can no longer believe that. And so we might say, well, let us be romantics instead and let us rely on our feelings and let us fall in love freely and uh, even though that brings disaster but we could always continue trying again <laughs> and uh, so we have I think um, gone beyond just saying let us belong to something this is fashionable that you must belong uh, you belong to a nation well how many of you feel that you are happy to live in this nation without going out of, out of it and to read only about the, the literature of this nation without acquiring knowledge of all the literatures outside it? And uh, in other words, how many nations can you love apart from your own? And uh, it seems the more you're educated, the more you want something beyond this offer of one belonging. Or you might say you belong to your religion. And we have seen um, that most of the world is religious. And it's only this part of the world um, which has, in which religious feeling has declined. But it's, not, it's no good asking people, what is your religion? I don't say to you, what is your religion? I say, how do you put your religion into practice. And if you look at the history of religions, you see that they have changed their behavior enormously over the centuries. But if you'd been here in the 18th century, um, the preachers were saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you behave ethically, properly, morally. And uh, but there are have been times when you would be executed if you denied any particular dogma. And um, it is now that the, the Church of England recently, you have noticed, has declared its belief in management theory. And the new Archbishop has said, 36 bishops are going to be sent to study management like MBAs and to uh, uh, therefore know how to run uh, the church which only has about a million people going to it. Um, so, and this has produced great um, protests from various other clerics saying, what about the spiritual content of religion? Have you forgotten about it? Is efficiency the only thing that matters? In other words, what I'm suggesting to you is that there is so much disagreement that we've got to find another way. We've got to look at the results of economics and politics 
and see they have tried every possible thing to make everybody richer, but as you discovered, as it's being repeated to you, half the wealth of the world goes, belongs to 1% of the population, so we're not moving very far towards equality. And we've got to think, does politics, do the promises of politics get fulfilled? And it is very unclear that one can believe what politics proposes. So, it's all that we can do is to rely on therapy and um, mend the cracks. Um, John Gordon was telling me he's going to have something about how to cope with depression. It doesn't occur to him to say how to not have depression at all because <laughs> depression is now considered the sort of what you live with. And, uh, well, I have been asking myself then, how do we deal with this? And I've asked myself, you know, what is, what is a life? What can we expect from life? What is a wasted life? And you can ask yourself this. And in my relations with um, people who come to Oxford Business School and to Paris Business School and other business schools, you get these executives who have worked very hard and have attained high rank and then by the age of 45, 50, they say, what have I done with my life? And I like to ask this question, and it seems to me the most important question one can ask, what can one do with one's life? And my answer, after a vast amount of trying to find out, <laughs> and no one telling me in plain English, um, I say what I want from life is to discover life, to know what life is. And that means getting to know as many people as possible, each of whom sees life in a different way and has experienced life in a different way. And I can only see what I see, my idea of what life is, and each one of you sees something different. And therefore I am almost blind and I'm searching to see what there is in life. And being, having suffered the, the uh, you know, being so-called educated, I, uh, um, I've, I have developed curiosity. And curiosity in the past was considered something dangerous, and you'll find many authorities in the past saying, mind your own business. Curiosity means I want to know what each one of you is thinking and what goes on in the head of other people is to me the big mystery of our time. And when I see you, I find it very unsatisfactory to talk to you in this way without having you answer me. And um, because I want to hear what you have got to say, I know what I say, but I know what I think, I don't need to be repeated. So uh, this kind of meeting is the opposite of the kind of meeting I really like, <laughs> which is to talk one-to-one -one with one person. And this is um, quite difficult, and I'll tell you an example of it, which has relevance to our present, uh, the news of, of the recent uh, weeks. I was uh, talking to one of the most senior Ayatollahs in Iran, and for one hour he screamed at me, 
insulting the West, saying how awful it was, and how America was terrible, and Britain, and so on, and on and on and on. And to the end of it, he embraced me, and he smiled, and he said to me, I'd like to come back again. <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, because you listened to me. And I was indeed interested. And he added something quite interesting. He said, in sheer thought, um, the opinion of each person counts. And there we had something which we could agree on. But it was mainly the fact that instead of shouting back at him, I was interested by what he had to say. But it's not enough to say we want to be listened to. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized as individuals and as unique individuals. And it's no good saying that you are just one example of the human race. Um, so I um, feel that we have now got, as an alternative to joining political parties and uh, all that, um, we have an alternative of talking to one another and trying to understand one another and giving to each person a sense that they are being understood and that they are a unique person. And once you have a world composed of unique persons, you have a totally different idea of what it is possible to do. And this is, means that though everybody may feel powerless, they're not powerless to talk one to one. And that is how I see, um, that is what I am trying to do. And that is what the, the, the foundation, the Oxford Muse is trying to do, to get people to talk to one another. And then, and this is my final point, it is not enough to talk what you've got to do then is to say, the way we spend our lives is unsatisfactory. The way we work is unsatisfactory. Most work damages you. Most work makes you a bore. And how can you therefore create a new kind of work which takes the, the aims of the individual to become a better person as the criterion of what a good job is? And that is what I'm now involved in, um, in developing and experimenting, and if any of you want to help me in these experiments in, in, in individual occupations, I'd be very glad to hear from you.